Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Be Frank About Real Estate Investing. Um, this has been a journey, I have to tell you. It's been something that I have been talking about uh, doing for almost six months and uh, is a great example of uh, procrastination. I, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I always want to try and see if I can do things a little bit differently. And in the end, it just drags on and drags on. However, I have learned so much about the whole format of uh, podcasting and buying the equipment and portable equipment and all of the things that uh, one might need in order to record a show properly. So please excuse that sometimes the audio, audio may change from time to time. It'll be sometimes online meetings, but i um, got this uh, great little portable equipment now that I can go and actually see uh, guests in person, which is really what I enjoy. And it actually is um, so much better uh, when that is done. Uh, so the show is going to be um, about real estate investing on all formats. So whether it is multi-unit residential, mixed use uh, for those who may want to get involved in other type of asset uh, acquisitions, Sometimes we'll talk about uh, storage facilities, retail plazas, um, co-living, um, all different types of, there's so many ways to make money, house hacking, burrs, uh, you name it. Um, I've pretty well been involved in every aspect, so um, I know that I can at least um, speak to it with some intelligence and also know enough people that uh, I can dig into and we can take some subjects. I've got a great um, cast of uh, players that are going to be involved in the show uh, from time to time here and there, but they're going to be giving opinions on specific uh, guests, uh, business models, which just kind of gives everybody a different kind of perspective uh, and gives you pros and cons and might give you a little bit more insight uh, on these different types of uh, models. Uh, the idea is to try and uh, provide you with more of a realistic, um, truthful perspective uh, that gives the pros and the cons, uh, you know, the great, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, because uh, real estate investing uh, is not an easy gig and you've got to be willing to work hard. And if you do, it will pay off in dividends. So in the end, uh, we are always open to listening uh, to you know reviews and suggestions and ideas. It's something that we're very excited about. I don't know much. I've you know listening to a lot of the podcasts uh, that I uh, had an opportunity to uh, engage in over uh, this period of time. Um, many uh, provided great inspiration. And, um, you know, even when I wanted to try and give a review, I found it very difficult. Um, I think iTunes, you almost have to slide all the way down, halfway down the middle. They don't make it easy because uh, I think that's obviously important. The only way we're going to know whether uh, individuals enjoy the show or get anything from the programming is if they actually um, decide to like and follow and stay enrolled and uh, provide reviews and feedback. So that's going to be a very important part. We're obviously going to want to see what we can do with the show and expand upon it. Uh, I am out, always available for you to reach out and uh, uh, talk to me. I'd love to hear from you. 
And uh, that's it. Um, you know, I'm not a professional broadcaster and no way is this going to be, uh, you know, a super, super high end uh, produced program. I do make mistakes on a regular basis, have a little bit of problem with dyslexia. So sometimes I'll use words that I don't intend. And I have been told by my producer that I use a lot of hymns and haws and uh, so you'll have to kind of work with me on that as I get a little better as time goes on. Anyway, welcome to Let's Be Frank About Real Estate Investing. I hope you enjoy the show and uh, thank you for joining us. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. Jared, welcome to the show. Jared Shire, my um, occasional co-host that's going to be hopefully on the show more uh, than not, uh, but you're going to also help uh, bring some inspiration and some insight uh, to the podcast and uh, perhaps keep me contained so I don't <laughs> just ramble and uh, get if out of hand. Possible. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, welcome. Frank, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you're, you're welcome. Um, so welcome to the team, by the way. Uh, this is exciting. We're going to have uh, to this, this introduction of the podcast is going to be introducing um, you know, our team players. Uh, we're going to have uh, perspectives from legal minds and financial minds. And um, so it's not just going to be a show about specific uh, topics. We're going to get insights uh, from individuals on each business model. A little different uh, than, than what's out there uh, to try and stay relevant and to primarily help uh, individual investors who are really interested in staying in the game long term uh, and making a great success out of their business model. And that is really the fundamentals of uh, the show. So uh, heartily welcome. Uh, I really appreciate having your perspective. Um, perhaps maybe you can, um, you know, just tell the listeners uh, how you and I met and uh, we'll yeah. let you take over the helm right now. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it's funny. I, um, I first heard or found out about you through a podcast I was listening to. And, you know, a couple of weeks had passed and I, was, I couldn't get the, the, the podcast out of my mind. I was thinking about it and I go, you know what? I got to email this guy. I got to at least get in touch with this guy. And so I kind of cold, I guess I cold emailed you and I sent you yes. an article that I had written a couple of years back that mirrored some sentiments that you had, uh, that you had said on a podcast. And I go, mm-hmm. you know, hey, in the, in the, in the shot in the dark that this actually gets to you, uh, you know, I just wanted to say, hey, like uh, I have, I, I feel similarly about the real estate market in general. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to connect and, you know, see if we could, uh, you know, just, I just like to meet you and see what your thoughts are. You know, one thing leads to another and we end up connecting and it was, uh, you know, it's 
kind of history since then. And it's and it's and it's been a relationship that's uh, blossomed. We've had, uh, I mean, how many times have we gotten together over the last uh, four or five months? Um, your like, article yeah, was 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 brilliant. Mm. By the way, it was thank uh, you very well. It was it was brilliant. Um, how's your tequila, by the way? My tequila is treating me beautifully right now. Good, good. Yes. So I recommended, um, just through a little bit of experience of drinking tequila, some Casadores mm. uh, to Jared. And uh, I thought that, you know what? Uh, it's an introduction to our show. I don't want people thinking that we drink on a regular basis. <laughs> However, uh, if you're going to drink tequila, uh, don't mix it with anything else. And uh, Casadores will go up against uh, any Patron. Any really good quality, you know, not the high end stuff, but Patron, uh, Casadores, thirty eight bucks a bottle, great deal, solid, yeah, uh, right, good very stuff, very solid, very solid. I'm not, I followed suit, and I'm happy I did. Good, good. So, I mean, people are here listening for real estate advice, not tequila advice. <laughs> with that <laughs> so why don't said, we get started, yeah. Let's get to that. So, um, so we're going to basically do an introduction to uh, the show, cast of players, um, and then obviously that'll lead into our our first episode. But um, I, I, I just fundamentally, I want to talk about you. Um, you you went to Western, great school. Go Western. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I went to Western. I graduated with a degree in <clears throat> in economics. But you know, before that, really. The reason why I started getting into economics was just because, you know, I was 13 years old and I, you know, I was had a bar mitzvah. And for for those who aren't aware, like when you're Jewish, you have you have this this uh, celebration when you're 13 years old. You have it's called a bar mitzvah, and you know you you're given these uh, uh, you know a bunch of money when you're a kid because it's your essentially you're coming of age. You're becoming a man when you're 13 years old. How and so much had, money? <laughs> like how, how much money do they get what's honestly, the average honestly it was it was good for you know a kid my age. it was like it was like eight grand you know total for a kid who's, nice. who's 13 years old are you kidding me all you need is some pop rocks mm-hmm. and a and a nestie and you're ready to rock so i had nice. eight grand that's more than i could do anything with and so sweet um my dad he uh he'd been an investor in in the stock market for years and he sort of showed me the ropes there and so i started investing when i was 13 years old and um you know i just uh you know i just started learning more and more about uh investing in different investment vehicles and i eventually came to the realization that real estate is king that's the way right to really make money and not just money but generational money and it's a fantastic business and i mean after speaking with you it just really uh, it just became even clearer that that's the way to go and so naturally you know i i'd started investing when i was about 13 and i uh you know i i got introduced to the stock market and that was my whole introduction into economics and so um Decided to go to Western, uh, studied economics, and then I graduated and I, I was an associate portfolio manager. Um, but I'd sin- even since I was 10 years old, I'd been running my own so business. So your degree, just a second, your degree is yep. in? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my degree. You have yes. an economics degree? Yeah, it's, I have my- What is ec- your degree? Econ- so my degree is in economics and global development. So it was really mm-hmm. like the political and the quantitative side of, of things. Great. So it, it was really both be- the best of both worlds, I would say, qualitative and quantitative. And um, so you're an analyst. You're you're analytical. 
I am pretty analytical. I definitely am. Good. Um, it's a, it's something that's I've had to hone over time, but it's definitely become second nature to me at this point. I look, I look at Good. things through an analytical mind. Good. But, um, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But, when uh, it comes to real estate investing. Yes. I, uh, you know, again, since I've spoken to you, I've, I've really just been doubling down on my real estate analysis and looking at things and creating spreadsheets and stuff. So I'm really nerding out on all that. <laughs> That's all right. Nerding's good. Nerding Nerding's is good. the only way to fly and uh, mortar and brick is uh, really, uh, that's what I uh, test to. I've never really been a uh, stock market individual uh, at a young age. I uh, wanted to get uh, involved in uh, the actual hard asset. And I don't know, I just like to go and touch and feel and see the things that I own. Stock market was great. I mean, it's all numbers, but it's numbers on paper. It's uh, what I like to call, uh, you know, ink and paper. Yeah. Uh, when I used to do offers and things like that, I would tell people and clients in big situations, I would say, look, don't get uh, nervous about it because it's all paper and ink. Mm. And until it's accepted and, you know, your signature's on and we dotted on the dotted line and we're locked in, um, you know, it, it, I looked at stock market the same way. Like, it's great to look at your portfolio. You're looking on your phone or your computer and, you know, um, but it could be there one day and it could be gone the next. And I know that people are like, no, that can't happen. But <laughs> the majority... The majority of people have never, you know, gone through seismic change in for any sure. market. And, for uh, in, for and sure. so, yeah, so you don't know, uh, you don't, if you've never experienced something, uh, then uh, there is a possibility that, uh, you know, you may not react uh, in the best way if things begin to go sideways. For and sure. so it's, right? So, for sure. so it's important. Sure. Yeah, it's important to have a fundamental mindset. Um, of knowledge. And uh, that's one of the purposes of this show is to uh, obviously make sure that people not only are buying assets that make sense, uh, but are buying assets uh, in locations that they're comfortable with. Um, and that there, there basically is a foundational principle of their uh, business. It's not sporadic. It's not like machine gun fire where they're mm -hmm. You know, buying properties all over the place. Um, <laughs> you know, most of the great asset management groups are localized. So, you know, when you look at uh, different uh, investment models uh, of small or large scale, the most successful ones have been ones that have stayed principally uh, localized in an area, get that area underway and, uh, you know, become, you know, basically develop the foundation of their uh, business. And then from there, they begin to spread out. Right. Um, but so, um, so, uh, go. so sorry, Frank. Yeah. You know, that kind of just brings me, I just naturally, I, I sort of go, how did you get your start? Because I mean, I know you've to mirror that exact point, you got your, your, you kind of spread your wings in Hamilton, but how did you even get to that point? Like, what's the story there? How did you go from, you know, just, uh, you know, just a kid to being the real estate guy that you are and just the, the businessman that you are? Well, uh, Reader's Digest is, uh, I wasn't great in school, uh, suffered from dyslexia, still do, uh, to the point, actually, I find that actually, actually I get older, uh, even um, my vocabulary 
Sometimes I will interchange words from what I'm thinking and what I'll actually say. It gets a little crazy. Sure. However, um, it provided an ability to be able to uh, be a critical thinker and to be able to figure out things uh, and learn uh, more by uh, visual experiences, hands-on, uh, than being more uh, studious. And uh, so I started a business uh, very young. I was in high school and worked for a carpet cleaning company and, uh, and, and actually made some like really good money uh, in that industry, a um, few hundred dollars a day uh, as a 16-year-old. And so then uh, when I got out of high school, I started my own business right away. I, don't ask me how. My dad was a <laughs> firefighter. Um, yeah, I don't have any, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurial uh, relatives in the background. They were all, you know, all had great jobs, but government related or worked for the steel industry. My dad was a firefighter. My mom uh, was an executive secretary. Great. You know, we had a middle income lifestyle. It was yeah. wonderful. Um, no building background, uh, zero to really rely on. Uh, and, um, but I was always keenly interested when I was a kid, I used to build forts. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to make, uh, hmm, that was the beginning. Like push- <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to make, uh, go-karts like, you know, with wagon wheels and build, yeah. And forts in the trees. Oh shit, man. I remember, I remember building a fort, sitting in it, happy as all can be. And the whole thing collapsed. (laughs) Um, oh no, seriously. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, taking like, uh, bikes, chopping off the, um, uh, the forks and then making like a chopper and adding very, very dangerous. (laughs) <laughs> Very dangerous, but creative. Uh, and so, um, anyway, so I, I decided to start a business and um, began with my partner, Tom Fortin, wonderful uh, individual, but um, uh, we started a uh, carpet cleaning company and then I used to do door-to-door sales. And so I used to go door knocking, had the equipment in the car and then would book jobs. And then that progressed to the point where uh, that was very successful. And then I uh, developed a, like a fire, a flyer program where I basically put flyers on people's doors, but with a magnet with my business card attached to it. But the, the flyer looked like an eviction notice. So Ooh. I knew, yeah, I knew that <laughs> that's they, a good move. Right? That's right? a good move. I like right? it. Look, Looked like they were being tossed. And then, of course, they'd be like, what the hell? But they'd read it. And that's all I wanted them to do was read it. So it was like a special thirty nine ninety five for your living room, dining room, and hallway. Okay. And, uh, and then from there, we would get booked. And, and so we would do steam cleaning and rotary scrub, all this kind of stuff. And, and then eventually, I built that business uh, in, a, in a fairly short period of time to 58 employees, Wow. And uh, and and then got involved in um, handling commercial accounts. So we did all the big players downtown. So we did well at the time. Colliers used to be called uh, Colliers Macaulay Nichols, and we did Manulife and all of their assets: Cadillac Fairview, Olympia, New York. Jeez. Um, every wow. major, yeah, er, yeah, every major player downtown Toronto or within the Greater Toronto area. Um, uh, we did all of their maintenance of their high-rise buildings and so on and so forth by night. 
and uh, Leon's Furniture. We did their service calls based out of their Burlington location. And, and uh, so we had crews that would go out to homes and or into the stores to uh, touch up furniture. Um, anyway, it was it was a really great business, uh, mm-hmm. but it operated 24 hours a day. And then by day, we did residential commercial at night. And I was making a shit ton of money. Uh, at a very young age. I mean, dare I say, uh, I would be, let's just say I would qualify as a, you know, a millionaire by the age of 24. Wow. So I had a, okay, yeah, Frank. I had a lot of cash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Carpet cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Carpet you know, cleaning. hey, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? A million ways to make a buck. To this it, day, I'll always say that uh, some of the most lucrative businesses are labor intensive. Hmm. because most people really don't want to work hard. And right. uh, so uh, carpet cleaning is all physical. So um, so I was able to, so I had a lot of extra cash. I uh, hmm. bought my first property at the age of 21 um, with my um, soon-to-be bride. And we uh, took a condo that was, you know, fairly large on today's scale of about uh, just under 1,500 square feet, two bedrooms, a den, two bathrooms, and a condo, hmm. and uh, kind of gutted it and started to, um, uh, in, did it in a way that absolutely looked luxurious, but I started figuring out ways to be able to do it cost-effectively, right. if that makes sense. Right, for yeah? sure. And yeah, and then in my cleaning company, we also did fire restoration work. So we we expanded into that, and so I I self-taught but quickly learned how to uh basically you know take uh areas that were fire damaged and then rebuild them uh through the uh insurance industry it was kind of funny how we landed in that my Hmm. partner tom and i were living in an apartment together and uh, two young guys and uh it was late one night and all of a sudden there was this loud explosion literally Uh, glass blowing out the building (laughs) shaking yeah, seriously, like kaboom, That's comforting. Like, boom. Oh, dude, this was in Mississauga, Port uh, Port Credit, actually. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, okay. so t- you know, so Tom and I go recent out buildings and a what, and uh, ends up that somebody blew up the bowling alley in the basement of this plaza. It was an arson. Classic, and, of course, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so everybody's like mauling around and everything else. And next morning, up on the scene comes my cousin debbie uh who was a big league insurance adjuster and i'm like what are you doing here deb and she's like frank and i'm like yeah <laughs> and uh she's like what are you doing here and i said well tom and i started this carpet cleaning company and she goes cleaning and i said yeah and she's like you know do you want to get into fire restoration and i was like yeah so now i do and, uh, <laughs> yeah and so, boom, all of a sudden, uh, lo and behold, the uh, arson blown up bowling alley was our first restoration job. And uh, it grew from there. So, so uh, I learned quickly, self-taught. Uh, then I, you know, the business did well. We bought a property, redid it. Then I bought um, my cousin, uh, Roger Bond, who was really um, uh, very prolific in uh, multi-res investing out in the Hamilton area. I will hope to have him on the segment at some point. But uh, anyway, he was basically my mentor with regards to real estate investing and said, you know what, look, oh, cool. Hamilton uh, is cost effective. Uh, and is uh, a place to uh, look at. So, um, 
I was like, all right, let's look at it. So then I dumped over to Hamilton, looked at a, an old house. Roger laid out basically the floor plan on how I could rebuild this property and make it legal because the uh, zoning allowed for uh, legal uh, duplexes. And so mm-hmm. I then slowly but surely took this house apart and then I uh, rebuilt it, but I'm a little OCD, so everything's got to be perfect. So, um, you know, I took things apart and rebuilt them and then took them apart again because it wasn't perfect and and kind of uh, worked out my methodology on how to do really project management at a very young age. And uh, wow. that was my first dabble in investment real estate. So I think I, I, think I did that when I was 21. 21 as well. Bought the condo and bought the duplex the first time around. Look at you, eh? Just really getting after it. Yeah, like, I was working my ass off. Had my yeah. cleaning company, 247, on call. And then weekends and evenings at this house, rebuilding. And yeah, I mean, if you're young, uh, you've got to grab the bull by the horns. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, fuck. There's just no, you can't pretend. Like, you got to all gas, no brakes, right, Frank? All gas, oh. no brakes. Love so, that. All gas, no brakes. So, okay. So you, you did that. And then that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like you were doing everything. You must've been gassed. Yeah. You did yeah. like, how did 21, 22? Yeah. It's, it's like, did you end up like no drugs, no drugs, <laughs> yeah, no drugs, <laughs> so just, did, just straight did, adrenaline. And then you eventually moved in straight to real estate, right? Like what's that transition like? Uh, it was, it was a bit, it wasn't as quick as that. So, mm. um, so basically, uh, um, bought a few properties, uh, got the gist of it, uh, kind of learned, um, you know, I, I redesigned this house so that it would be legal, eventually applied, got it legal, but separated the hydro, even the water, everything, everything was done. So every unit was separated. I did it right. I, I restored all the old wood. I started having appreciation for the uh, architecture of that era. Um, actually, starting you know developing somewhat of, of a love affair for uh, historical heritage style buildings, oh, cool. but also an appreciation for the construction and how they were built, and um, you know just kind of so I I built my whenever I did a property. Uh, throughout my career, I uh, and I, I specialized mainly in historical restorations and or era of, you know, a hundred. I did uh, 70s era, did a lot of flipping properties. So probably, you know, uh, in my career with myself personally and clients, probably over 150 uh, oh properties. Wow. But on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, and beautiful. Um, if you build it, they will come type of um, right. uh, <laughs> say, yeah, yeah. Say no yeah. more. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything first class done right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, screwed and glued, as they say. Hmm. Uh, I didn't do a lot of nailing. So uh, everything that I did was done in a way so that um, there wouldn't be no cracks or, uh, let's say, seams that would show a year or two down the road. Everything right. was done meticulously. Right. Uh, and that's kind of just my OCD perfectionist nature. I like to Doesn't have hurt, everything right? done. Well, it's just kind of in my blood. It's yeah, just exactly. how I roll, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, But it always paid off. Uh, whenever we did a property, we always set a threshold for the highest price. Uh, and or the highest rents. Um, 
And uh, then eventually, you know, when the, even the discussion of smart home technology just was a whisper, uh, I started uh, catching on to that. And at the time, it was, you know, basically maybe what they call bleeding edge technology because it really wasn't uh, as uh, predominant as it is today. But I loved the whole idea and concept of taking a building a house or a building of any size and then be able to um, be able to operate that building from beginning to end remotely from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, So uh, both for efficiency and for management and for operation. So it was something that I kind of dove into early stages. Um, Yeah. So I've been rambling. You got to cut in every once in a blue moon. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? I can't lie. I love, I love to hear you ramble because you've got, you've yeah. done so much, you know, you've, yeah. you've really done everything. You've, you've started your own business. You've developed a real estate portfolio and then you eventually got into, you know, real estate sales as a broker or rather as a real estate agent, right? Well, uh, yeah. So basically just kind of, uh, the business 58 employees, uh, again, it was operating, we were heading into a recession, which was uh, seismic uh, in the 1990s. So I, um, you know, went from, you know, I so I had a residential base. So let's say, for example, we were doing, uh, it's going to sound like a lot, but it was a lot. Uh, we had a lot of crews on the road. So we were doing around, say, $10,000, $12,000 a day in residential cleaning. So that was cash, right? Basically, mm-hmm. visa, whatever. But people pay by check. And we used to take cash back in the day. Check. Uh, no such wow. thing as, yeah, check. Yeah. Will that be check or cash? Yeah. Haven't heard that uh, one in a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and so we did, we did all of that. So, you know, but that was good money, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, you got, uh, you know, your trucks are bringing in 10, 12 cash a day. When I say a day, we're talking, it went seven days a week. Right, so yeah. so that's seventy thousand in cash receivables, mm-hmm. and then with our commercial work, um, and it was of magnitude. So we did just didn't do these commercial office buildings. We did residential apartment buildings as well. So we did all the we did very very large um, asset management firms and their portfolios through Southern Ontario. And so then we would, um, and no one had hardwood back then, right? So everybody uh, was yeah. in carpet, right? Right. Shag. That was the that was the wave back in the day. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so every all the apartments had carpeting in it. So we would go in, clean all the carpets, all the common hallways, carpet, carpet, carpet everywhere. Um, and then they had upholstery and their lobbies and all that kind of thing. So so we were really busy. So we were doing, you know. Very consistently, about seventy thousand in cash uh, a week. Uh, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then on Sounds top of awesome. that, we had it's really awesome. And yeah. then we had we had uh, commercial uh, accounts that were bringing in around a hundred a week. All right. So okay. you know we went from from really door knocking at the age of eighteen to uh, by the age of. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, these trucks were uh, back in the day, were going, uh, they were almost a hundred grand. They were oh oversized, God, yeah. custom. That's a lot. Back, yeah, they were. That's a lot back then. And so it clearly. It's a lot today. The, 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 yeah, no, it's a lot. But I mean, even back, th- like back then, it's even more, right? Back like, then. 
yeah, back yeah. then. Oh yeah, I gotta watch. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta watch it. Yeah, dude, I'm not that old. Yeah. But yeah, a uh, hundred grand's a lot of money. It sounds crazy, but you get the you know we paid cash, so the truck we was oversized cube vans, and then I had to have them custom designed, so they had cages built inside because we had huge commercial grade truck mount units inside these cube vans that we could run up uh high you know high level buildings um and we had walk behind uh, machines that then would be carried in trailers behind these big trucks so i mean it was uh there was a lot of money invested into each rig uh and they had lights on them flashing and we had cones so they were designed to be downtown we had traffic control. We had it designed so the trucks could operate with the doors open, but they were caged and uh, locked up. And then we ran our hoses and our equipment. And uh, so we were really the dominant force uh, in commercial and residential in Southern Ontario mm. um, within a very short short period of time. But, but what happened was is that in 1989, there were uh, ramblings a lot of, in 88, 89, a lot of discussion about a potential recession or the possibilities that there could be a recession. And at that time, I thought, oh my God, bring on the recession. Because in the early 80s, the cleaning industry, uh, which I wasn't a part of, but historically actually boomed uh, during the uh, recession of the early 80s because people technically, I mean, if you can't afford if if the economy turns, you you're not buying new. So what are you doing? You're making everything uh, you know that you've got yeah. look new. So I was building up. So the more gotcha. talk about a recession, right? The more talk of a recession, uh, the more excited I got. Right? It was like okay, yeah. bring it on. I'm prepping yeah, for yeah. it, thinking that I'm smart. Right. Right. And uh, and so um, I mean, God, man, we did home shows. So you know the big the Toronto home show. I had like a, a $5,000 exhibit booth and we would do the home shows and book carpet cleaning through that way. Good. I'd like to help uh, people that were in distress of income. So I had like a, um, so with my flyer program, so basically my eviction notice flyer program, um, basically what we did was we would go around and actually find, yeah, what are you laughing at? No, your eviction um, notice flyer program. I like the way you said it that. Worked. Yeah, it worked. It worked. So clearly, Here's it the did. deal. In every, so if anyone who's in advertising, they'll know as long as you get, if you get somebody to actually look at your ad, you've succeeded. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're, that's the win, right? So yeah. flyers, what does everybody do with a flyer? They chuck it in the garbage. Don't even look at it. Right? But you have right? to look at so, it if you think you're going to get evicted. Yeah. Oh, gone like yeah. i've got a mortgage my mortgage is paid off what the hell is this <laughs> so they look at it 39.95 i love it room, dining room hall right i love it they'd yeah. be either like they'd either like fuck that or fuck her and then they take that magnet and go sweet magnet and then put it on their fridge <laughs> and they would they would call later yeah man seriously it no worked. it's an awesome it's an awesome idea yeah. like how could you yeah. you can't hate that that's a really smart idea it very worked. simple, very smart, right? <laughs> like, and and, th and then I had Bob who ran my uh, flyer division, and he had like this oversized van. We had our emblem on it, corporate can clean, everything was there, and he would go down, and we specifically, um, and and uh, we went and picked up people that were um, homeless that wanted to make some extra money. Oh, and, that's cool. Uh, yeah, 
That's I've really always cool. had an affection. F- yeah, so I've always had an affection for. I've just. I've always had an affection for people in need, and mm. and so um, his job was to go around to see if he could find individuals that were interested uh, in delivering these flyers, and we pay them cash and pay them a re- really good weight. We paid them. We paid them more than minimum wage, but in cash. And uh, lo and behold, many of them uh, wanted to continue on. So they would go out. I know it sounds crazy, uh, you know, homeless people or people in need delivering flyers, but it worked. Uh, And, uh, you know, like even like I was stringent on how the magnet was left on the door and so on and so forth. Uh, But it worked and we helped people in need and uh, the business really uh, it, it was growing. Yeah, it was growing leaps and bounds. Hmm. And I had a lot of money. Um, I mean, I used to, yeah, we were doing really well for a young couple of our age. And the money, I mean, if you're making the money that I was making at that time, um, it would have been, you know, like making tens of millions of dollars today kind of deal. It's that's right. when you're dealing, you know, when you're making, uh, you know, we we were we were doing three to four hundred thousand a month, just to wow. give you kind of yeah. perspective. Yeah, it all varied dependent on the time of year, right? You had mm-hmm. your busier times, yeah. but medium average three to four hundred thousand a month. So and, you're uh, and you, Frank, you're, you're just it's it's clear like you're just a natural entrepreneur. Like like you said yourself though, like your parents don't have the background for it. Like it's not it's not in their blood, but it seems to be in your blood. Like you're just a natural. It just seems to come to you. Uh, I think. I think there are people, uh, you know, the people who will be listening to the show that feel that they have that natural uh, instinct, whether mm-hmm. they're educated or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have that desire to want to really go out there and and make a difference, or you know, maybe uh, think outside the box and do things differently. However, I did not have a formal education. I didn't have a business uh, degree. Um, fundamentally I was really, uh, running off, um, you know, really, uh, you know, just running off sheer volume, but the fundamentals of business and Mm -hmm. strategy and all those things. So I'm an advocate of education. I have an appreciation for your degree, uh, in global economics. And I have, um, my number one priority in raising my children was for them to get the best education possible. Um, because I believe in education. I believe in, uh, and not just that, but the fundamentals of the networking that's involved and the association right. with good schools and, and all the things that, that come from it because networking and what you, what you know, it's, it, it really evolves back to who you know. Um, and so all of these things are very, very important, but I had nothing. I didn't have any of that. And so, and I didn't have any mentors that were business individuals. So, so basically what happened was, is that we were kicking ass. My bank manager was taking me out for lunch almost every week, literally, because the (laughs) business was, I'm telling you, when you got a business, I I believe you. No, I I believe you. Trust me. I believe you. (laughs) Yeah. When you go from 5,000 a day to 10,000 a day to 30,000 a day to 50, you become on the radar of the bank. And so, um, yeah, no, I'm being serious. And so, I'm, you know, it wasn't weekly, but it was every other week the bank manager uh, would come out and, and visit. And so she would say, you know what, Frank, um, you know, whatever you need, whatever you blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't smart. I signed, I basically, I put all my properties that I was accumulating 
as lines of uh, like credit in order for the business. Because you got to remember when you've got, so just because you're bringing in, just because you're bringing in like 70,000 cash a week, it sounds like a lot Mm -hmm. and it is, but if you got to, that's cash. I'm not talking about the commercial, but when you're dealing with that kind of uh, income, you've got 58 employees and the way that my uh, structures worked, I, my guys were making, you know, some of them dependent on the role that they had were, were making a thousand to 2000 bucks a week. Cause they were just working their butts off. Oh, it's labor intensive. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah, gotta yeah. pay, you gotta pay well. And I was, I was, a, I was a little bit of a, you know, let's just say an asshole <laughs> to work for, uh, be, I was very regimented, right? Mm-hmm. So quality service, client satisfaction, all my all my employees were uniformed, their name on it, the company name, mm-hmm. all the trucks were done to the tens. Every shift, whether it was the day shift or the night shift, had to wash all the trucks down. Mm-hmm. Everything was perfectly perfect, clean. Perfect, perfect, um, perfect. Oh, dude. It was like, uh, do you know what a fire truck looks like? How oh, organized yeah. it is? Yep. Well, Okay, yep. so my dad was a firefighter and uh, somehow that kind of planted in my mind. So my trucks were... Done to the tens. So mm-hmm. when you looked at it, every piece of equipment had a spot and a holder and nothing would fly around. And it was highly organized and it cost a lot of money, but it was very efficient, very impressive. And when we rolled into your driveway, you knew. You knew who was coming, uh, and, and, coming through. And the neighbors knew. Yeah. Uh, and and then even I even actually, because at the time, reflectant um, logos uh, weren't even common. And so I caught on to reflectant logos so that, you know, when headlights would hit the truck, they would push, blast off. And, and did we all, even, even though we had the commercial trucks, we had the lights on the commercial trucks for, you know, because we were on Young Street, on Bloor, on Dundas. I used to tell the guys, run the lights while you're in the driveway of Mr. and Mrs. Jones' Smart. driveway. So yeah. that way... The neighbors saw, you know what I mean? So for sure. and the trucks had to run for these truck mount units. So uh, it all worked great. But however, um, the Gulf War broke out. Uh, this happened in 89, 1990, if anybody wants to do their research. <laughs> and uh, I, will, I will not forget it. Um, we were at the Dome Stadium. And uh, we had our big booth. And uh, normally when we did a home show... I think the home shows were run two or three times a year at the time. And we paid big money, to, by the way, to have this spot. So imagine, so let's yeah. say let's, let's say we paid 5000 bucks for our space, mm-hmm. right? Uh, out of that, we'd book, I don't know, uh, $25,000, $30,000 worth of work because we covered all of Southern Ontario. Okay. And um, so then the Gulf War, I think it was the first night or second night of the home show, and uh, the Gulf War broke out. Uh, this is the first Gulf War, by the way. Okay. Uh, and you could literally take a bowling ball. We were in the in the Sky Dome at the time, so we were in like the VIP area. And uh, you could take a bowling ball and you could l- roll it down the hallway and you wouldn't have hit a soul. Oh. It, yeah, everybody, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it was one of those situations in which China... And um, uh, Russia had warned the U.S. that if they uh, invaded Iraq, that they would intervene. So most people thought at the time that there was a possibility of a third world war. And that was real. 
Oh, right? that's comforting. You yeah, need- that's comforting. <laughs> right? Well, uh, you were probably sucking on your mama's um, bottle. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, when when the when uh, 2011, uh, 2011, 2000, uh, the two, uh, 9-11 occurred, mm-hmm. right? How old yeah. were you when that happened? I was eight. You eight years eight. old. Okay. So the world stood still at 9-11. When the Gulf War broke out, the world stood still. But the but but that caused more of a catastrophic effect on the global economy. Right. And so all of a sudden our commercial um contracts, everybody, no one worked on email back then. There was no such thing. So everything was done by fax. All of a sudden we went from 30 to 60 days on our uh, receivables for our commercial accounts. And you now think about it. So 30 to 60 days, we're doing about a $100,000 in commercial work weekly, right? Mm-hmm. And we're working on 30 to 60 days, right? Mm-hmm. Do the math on that. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for sure um, that are paid by what you would call AAA clients, right? Leon's Furniture, Cadillac, Fairview, Manu Life, all the big, the big players, yeah. all the big boys. So we we had what you would call a AAA client base, and then and so all of a sudden, almost in unison, almost as if they were in collaboration. All of a sudden, our fax machine started going off constantly, and we were being notified that all commercial accounts owed uh, by these major corporations uh, would no longer be 30 to 60 days, would be 90 to 120 days. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a shock to, to the system. That's a big shock to okay. the system. Right? right? Yeah. And now, and, and, then, and then what happened, our residential uh, went from, you know, Anywhere from given any given day again, so you know nine ten thousand dollars a day, twelve thousand some days, a little lower, but it you know depend on whether it was a Monday or a Sunday kind of deal. Um, a literally overnight drop by fifty percent, five zero. Oof! And wow. that was my cash. That was my <clears throat> that was my fundamental base mm-hmm. of income. And at the time, we had a massive warehouse up in Woodbridge where we operated out of. I mean, I think our warehouse was 15,000 square feet um, oh because we did a lot of, um, we brought a lot of, well, we had all our equipment, but sure, we did a sure, lot of, yeah. we did carpet installation at the time. We did everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did oriental rug cleaning, very specialized stuff. So we were really becoming a leader in the industry. But a huge overhead, 58 employees, man, they need to get paid. For sure. Right? And, uh, and so my, my, day sh- my days uh, cr- uh, shifts from my residential started dropping dramatically, but our commercial, nobody dropped us. Everything still needed to be cleaned, everything. So the whole commercial deal kept going, but now they wanted 90 to 120 days. So, <sighs> you know, so from one to two months, now they're going to three to four months payment. Yeah. Okay. And that just throws everything so, off. Oh, dude, you have no idea. So, yeah. you know, it was just becoming stroke, uh, you know, stroke heart attack by day. Yeah. Um, so I divested uh, out of the carpet cleaning, saw the writing on the wall, 
and uh, and then decided to get my real estate license. And my cousin uh, was already uh, established out in Hamilton and uh, had already had a foothold in investment real estate out that way. So I got my real estate license and uh, started and got rid of all the employees and all the overhead and all mm-hmm. the issues and the drama and all that that was involved. Right, right. And, uh, and then started kicking ass in uh, real estate uh, almost, um, kind of almost overnight, thank yeah. God, by my cousin in his base. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into commercial real estate. Yeah. yeah. You know, honestly, it sounds like, <laughs> like, and, and that's not to toot your horn, but it's just like, it just sounds like you're a natural entrepreneur. I mean, you go from that and you just naturally, like you just land on your feet. You're like a cat, you know, you just land on your feet that, you know, your, um, your, your account receivables pretty much doubles overnight and you go, you know what? I got to get out of this. What am I good at? I love real estate. You double down on real estate and you go, you know, head first. Right. Yeah. And you just, and you yeah, crush it in real yeah. estate and I did. I did. Uh, you know, and so I divested out, uh, became partners with my cousin, uh, and then kind of very became uh, niche and very specialized. Um, and then had, um, an assistant that worked with me full time. And, and so kind of became, didn't advertise, uh, just kind of worked word of mouth and, um, just kind of became known as the multi-res guy among others. Uh, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to work with, uh, many of my peers within, uh, Hamilton and Ontario, to be honest with you, when you deal with, um, uh, a very specialized niche market, many of these listings are what they call exclusive listings. Right. And so, um, there were certain brokerages, uh, and, and myself, uh, you wouldn't go on MLS for these listings, even to this day. Uh, you know, really? anything that's of decent, yeah, most assets aren't put on, uh, the open market. They're sold exclusively. And why um, is that? Frank? So I, I'm just curious. Why, why, why is that the case? Well, uh, if you've got a, you know, a 60, 80 or a hundred unit or 150 unit complex, um, you know, there's not a lot of them out there. So, why would you put that on the open market when you could, uh, you know, work within your reservoir of buyers and clients? Right, and that's market kind of to, how to that, serious buyers and clients. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it was very exclusive and, right. and so very niche market. So even to this day, there's only really a handful of, of experts that specifically specialize in this case. Let's talk about multi-res. There's only a handful in Ontario that really are the movers and shakers uh, in the industry. It's a very, very specialized field. It's, you know, it's not easy to sell a multi-unit residential or mixed-use asset with, you know, we're talking sizable in size. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go involved in it, and you need to know what you're doing. So it's not Bob and Mary right. that sells a triplex uh, <laughs> that's going to be selling, you know, a 50-unit apartment building. It's not. It just doesn't equate. Right. Um, but so as relationships are important, uh, team building, but uh, developing a good reputation in the business of being a deal closer. So. You know, a broker would not open their uh, opportunity to sell a building unless they knew you were a guy that could get the deal or gal uh, that could get the deal closed. And Mm. so I had a reputation of vetting my clients, my clients. I, I put my 
clients through kind of a little bit of a, you know, a regiment to make sure that, you know, all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed that they right. qualified and that, and that, you know, that they were the real deal. Right. I, you know, I was not the guy that would take you around and show you buildings for the sake of you wanting to learn about looking at apartment buildings. I wasn't <laughs> right. Gotcha. No, no, I wasn't the guy. I'd make it clear pretty quick. So I, I'd ask all the right questions. And if you didn't answer the questions properly, uh, good luck. Sounds um, like you just didn't mess um, around. Sounds like you really knew what you were looking at, what who you wanted to look after and how to go about doing that. There are serious people in the in the market and they deserve that type of service mm-hmm. and I uh, and, and and it's a very difficult field, so they deserve the best of the best service if they're qualified, but if somebody's just a tire kicker right. or trying to learn, yeah. Um, I I wasn't personally the guy to um, you know, uh, to teach you all the, the fundamentals of, yeah yeah i just wasn't the guy i i was the guy to make you uh win and succeed and take you to where you need to be on every level from small medium to large um but i i wasn't really let's just say i, I grew kind of impatient with um mm-hmm. uh, people who weren't necessarily qualified to make a decision immediately right right does you, that make you sense were, you were working with Big time players who are making big time decisions. Mm, nah, big time players. Just uh, you know, as long as somebody was qualified and they were serious about buying, whether it was a duplex, a triplex, or a fifty unit building, they got the same service. But I needed to know that they were actually serious and ready to buy. Got it. Does that make sense? Makes total right? sense. I totally get you. Yeah. Lot, lots of people are like, oh, I. You know what would it be like to buy a twelve-unit apartment building? And so they want to go out with, with Bob and look at all the apartment buildings, right. and uh, and so I could sniff that bullshit out quick, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you know, yeah. I wasn't about to be a blue line taxi cab service to, uh, yeah, blue line by the way is taxi cab out in Hamilton. <laughs> I wasn't about to, um, you know, just drive people around. Uh, just to show them uh, the biz. So anyway, I had a way of qualifying, Got and it. I and people knew in the industry that my buyers were qualified, and they knew that the offers I would bring to them were structured in such a way to make the deal work. So I had developed a good reputation among my peers, whom I respected, and others respected me, and so that even when we were in multiple offers situations. Um, uh, th- many times the agent would say to the buyer, this is the guy of all the offers that are here. This is the one that you want to deal with because, and, and it may not have even been as much money as the highest offer, but just the way my offer was constructed, it was done in a way that right. showed that my deal would actually go through Got it. rather than an offer that wasn't constructed properly. Right. right? For sure. So, so Frank, how did you go from that to, you know, running your consulting business, Frank Taylor Consulting? Like, how did, like, what was that transition like? And what are you doing in, in, in that field? Well, I had gotten to a point where I was going to retire. Uh, and I had looked into the consulting side of the business while I was licensed. Uh, I had actually pitched it to Rico um, to see uh, what they would think about the model. Because at the time, I was getting calls from lawyers, uh, law firms. Sorry, Frank, we should probably point out Rico being the Real Estate Council of Ontario, yeah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
We should also point out that you were licensed as well, right? Yeah, so you, yeah, you, no, I, I was, right? yeah. yeah. I was yeah, a, you were a licensed realtor? Yeah, yeah, no, I was I was a licensed realtor. I worked in commercial real estate. And again, that just really stemmed from my background in stocks. And I realized, hey, real estate's really the way forward. And I wanted to learn everything I could about it on the buy side, on the sell side, everything. And, you know, naturally, that's just kind of where life took me. I, I recognized that if I really wanted to get serious about this and own my own properties and own my own investment, uh, real estate investment portfolio, that's how I had to do it. You know, I had to understand 360 degrees, everything about it. And so that was really how I landed in, in, um, in the field. And I guess that's where we and, sort and of- And then you became a broker. Then you became a stockbroker. You had to give up your license. Um, yeah, yeah, so, I, exactly. I became yeah, a portfolio so manager. And uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I, I tore my AC, the ACL in my knee. I was playing basketball. I tore my ACL in my knee. And I, you know, I realized, hey, like I'm, I'm pretty young. I, I should develop, like I need, uh, I need an income. One that like I'm not just- um, I'm not just working on commission for, but it was really such an education being in that field. And so I went from that field to something that was a little bit just more intuitive and natural to me, which was portfolio management. And that's sort of how I um, transitioned between the two. And then, um, you know, we just found a natural connection between you and I, right? Because, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my point, the re- reason I bring it up is that you're, you're seasoned, you were licensed, you know, the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you do. know, you've got experience in that. And when For you sure. played out Rico, yes. Yeah. So Rico is the governing body that licenses and basically regulates and are the police of uh, the real estate industry in Ontario. So I pitched. Uh, the concept of my consulting business to Rico because we everything has to be passed through Rico. And when they uh, responded back to me, they said, great model. However, uh, you can only deal with clients that are within your broker's book of business. Uh, meaning that meaning that if you if you were with a Remax agent and you were buying, let's say, you know, uh, let's say a townhouse complex, 60 unit or whatever, pick your number. Right. Um, you know, and and so you're represented by a Remax agent. And then the listing agent is Royal LePage. And you're not sure because everything's commission-based. You're not sure whether this is the right deal. Naturally, who are you going to call? You're going to call your lawyer. And and many times, um, lawyers that knew about me in the industry would then say, you know what, you need to talk to Frank Taylor. So I would give them, um, I couldn't talk to them specifically about a deal because I can't interfere as a broker. I could not interfere with a transaction outside of my book of business. <clears throat> right. So I, I could only give them a hypothetical. And even at that, many times I, I basically had to say I couldn't. Right. And so it limited, it limited me on being able to provide um, proper consultation. So um, I decided uh, within the last year to give up my real estate license so that this way I can service the industry at large. And primarily my job is to, um, well, there's many reasons. If you're going to buy something uh, and you want a outside perspective, I'm the guy to call. Right. If you're going to sell something and you want to be properly prepared to get the highest and best price, and uh, though you're going to list it, whether you're going to list it on MLS or do it privately, I'm the guy to call. I'll get you set up and structured. Um, you know, I, I deal with law firms all the time. I, I, I deal with brokers who want to learn more about the industry. 
Uh, I deal with uh, individual agents. I deal with clients that have, uh, you know, fairly sizable um, portfolios. And I deal with first-time investors, uh, which uh, many times um, uh, my fee, which is very marginal and it's very cost-effective, is designed uh, so that I'm going to give you like, I don't have a commission involved, so I'm going to give you the real perspective. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a niche. It's a very niche business. And uh, it has been uh, very successful. It's working very well. And uh, the reason all of this has kind of transpired about doing the show was that I had an opportunity to be featured on a few uh, podcast shows. And then from that, I got inquiries from individuals. And then I just started realizing, hey, you know, yeah. um, podcasts are really uh, the way to be able to reach an audience. Yeah. Uh, and 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 clients right for sure i uh, and and so uh then i started listening to the shows that were out there and kind of getting a sense of what they were all about and the kind of information they provided and i thought you know what um i think that i might be I, you know i just came up with a formula in my mind it's taken me a long time to get to where i am today but the idea basically is this uh so uh let's be frank is going to be a frank, honest discussion about what's involved in real estate investing. It's going to be uh, what's involved in you know acquisition, the sale, management, long-term planning, short-term planning, all the pros and cons. I'm planning on having a legal perspective uh, on each and every show with regards to my guests' uh, specific business model. I want to get a financial perspective on my guests' specific business model. Uh, so, you know, we're going to have different team players. We're going to have situations where you and I are going to talk about topics, um, you know, without a guest, but right. uh, topics that are relevant uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, what, what's possible and, and what's going to happen. I'm really, I'm not doing this to become a... Um, how do you call it? A social, social media, media personality? personality. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. My business is consulting and my business is really to help people succeed in real estate investing. And uh, this is going to be a format for me to be able to help uh, individuals um, learn, most importantly, uh, to know that uh, real estate investing uh, is not easy. Uh, but if you're a hard worker and you're willing to um, really dig in, uh, it can give you freedoms unlike any other investment uh, possible. Um, so really, uh, and I love it. I, you know, I love real estate. Um, I love every aspect of it. I, I love the part of also rolling up my sleeves and, and helping clients do uh, reconstruction and restoration. And so, you know, from, from, ownership to acquisition to sale to management to redesign uh, to developing a foundation of a business structure um, to even smart building technologies which is something that you know I'll constantly advocate and people will hear I'm very excited I'm going to have some serious players um, that are all self-made uh, primarily in the industry so I think that that one of the things that's important is that you know I want to have guests that um, you know haven't just succeeded in a couple of sales and acquisitions of assets, 
But people who have actually started from the beginning mm-hmm. and have portfolios of 50, 60, 70, you know, $100 million. And how did they do that? How did you, you know, how do you do that? And um, so I'm very excited about the guests and um, just about uh, the potential of, um, you know, being able to share my knowledge and the knowledge of, of others. And uh, and that's really what it's all about. That's that's. That's awesome, right? Like that's what's missing, I feel. And I think that's awesome. And I think so many people can get so much from that for, I mean, a million different reasons. Um, so, you know what, Frank, I think that's amazing. And I'm really excited. I think there's a lot to be, there's a lot to look forward to. Well, I'm excited to have you on the team. Yeah. And I'm excited to be here, Frank. And Good. I think on, uh, I think on that, I think we can end. Listen, my friend, uh, upwards and onwards, and uh, this is going to be an exciting journey. And uh, thank you. Upwards and onwards, always. Thank you for having me, Frank. This has been, uh, I don't know, I love it. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, All right. Welcome, buddy. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, guys. Take care. We'll be right back. So, what can I say about this uh, gentleman, Peter Cass? Uh, Peter is uh, going to be on the show on a regular basis, and uh, Peter Cass is a lawyer uh, based out of Burlington, Ontario, uh, and has been in the industry as a licensed um, practicing lawyer for, for God, 1970 is when he told me he got his license. And um, when I was thinking about the format of the show, what I thought and am going to attempt to try and do is um, always get a perspective, outside perspective of of, uh, everybody's business model. But it's nice to hear a legal perspective from someone that I I personally truly admire and have great admiration for. And the reason is that throughout my career, even before I became a realtor, um, when I bought my first investment properties, uh, Peter was uh, my lawyer. And I always found him to be um, brilliant mind. I love brilliant minds. I love, um, you know, I'm not going to say he's eccentric in any way. He's just, uh, he's a very interesting man. And so, uh, we, over the years, had developed a relationship in which, uh, as my career grew, um, I had great confidence that um, no matter how complicated the transaction, that once I got it through to where it needed to be, um, I knew that when I handed it off to the next player on my team, uh, Peter, he would always uh, come through and, uh, you know, What's what's important about coming through is always being a problem solver and being able to overcome issues and uh, work professionally with clients to get them to where they want to be. And um, so I'm super, super happy uh, to have had him. He came into the show kicking, uh, you know, kicking and screaming. Uh, He's a super busy guy, uh, has a wonderful practice. 
and, you know, said, I don't need any more work, Frank. I don't, you know, I'm not interested in being a, a podcast personality. And I said, well, neither do I. Um, but I think it's important for people to hear and listen to uh, individuals uh, that have wisdom, you know, that have been there and done it. Um, I love uh, having Peter uh, be part of this because Peter has worked on everything from, you know, small acquisitions of multi-res to major development deals to large asset uh, uh, allocations of, you know, apartment building and complexes, you know, hundreds and hundreds of units. Um he has worked on uh, retail plazas and malls, and it's unlimited. Like, you know, there's not a lot of lawyers that I could turn to with great confidence and have had experience with um, that can speak articulately and uh, most importantly with an expert uh, knowledge on just about every um, type of investment aspect. So I thought and felt he would be a key uh, role to have. So um, I'm going to introduce Peter Cass. This is going to be our introductory uh, interview. And then I'm going to have Peter uh, join us uh, throughout our different shows for a quick perspective uh, and opinion on certain subjects. So everyone, this is Peter Cass. All right. So, uh, I've, I'd like to introduce everybody uh, to someone who has been a uh, wonderful uh, uh, colleague uh, in the industry going uh, way back when, before I was even in real estate. Um, Mr. Peter Cass was uh, my first lawyer on my first investment property uh, out in Hamilton on Elm Street. And that is how Peter and I first met. And then over the years, as I uh, got into the industry, uh, Peter has um, truly been one of my main principal colleagues uh, when it comes to difficult transactions that involve investment-related properties. So I'd like to introduce uh, Peter Cass, who's going to participate uh, in shows from time to time to give us a, a legal opinion or a different perspective. Uh, but uh, is a brilliant mind and someone whom I'm really, really happy to have uh, be part of the program. Mr. Peter Cass, how are you? Well, good morning, Frank. But I have to say, if I'm brilliant, I feel sorry for the entire balance of humanity. <laughs> you're always so humble, but uh, you know you're brilliant. So uh, I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to be able to um, just chat about um, our relationship, uh, you know, your experience with regards to uh, handling all different types of uh, investment-related properties, because um, we have, uh, throughout my entire career, we've you've handled uh, very complicated deals from smaller multi-res transactions to very large uh, multi-res transactions, uh, retail plazas, light industrial plazas. Um, office space, mixed use, I mean, really, storage facilities, we've done it all together. And you you yourself are a landlord, and uh, you've got a, um, a portfolio of uh, light industrial space, which has always seemed to do well for you, right? Yes, that's true, Frank, and your approach has always been uh, important because, uh, you know, 
expertise is one thing, experience is another, and they kind of combine to produce good results. But it's a team approach. Um, the client has to be smart. The client has to be a good team member. He has to put together his lender. The agent has to be sharp. That's definitely you. So now it's your turn to be humble. The lawyer has to participate. Everybody has to be pretty well constantly available. That's another factor that I've seen in working with you. Um, if people aren't paying attention all the time, which is difficult, then things get missed. Things go off kilter. And there's always the time factor in all of these deals, whether for the seller or the buyer. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always loved working with you because um, uh, as complicated as some of these transactions can be, and they usually are, even when they're a smaller uh, transaction, when you're dealing with individuals uh, that you've got more than one tenant or a homeowner, um, there was always something that could come up. And I always had confidence with regards to you because I knew that once I did my end of the deal and got through all the um, different levels of uh, clauses and you know all, all the different due diligences that were involved and we got the deal firm, I knew that um, for me anyway, uh, you I always described you to my clients as a uh, lawyer for a lifetime because uh, you do corporate law as well, but um, you're a problem solver. You're not a problem maker, which I think is absolutely critical. Uh, when you need a lawyer to represent you, you're 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 a uh, problem solver, and I love that. I always have about you. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm a magnet for problems or a problem solver, but every problem seems to have a solution within it. You just have to find it. It's almost like an Easter egg hunt. Um, but I don't, you know, I just do my best. I don't pretend to have any magical powers. Um, life is a series of problems for all of us. We always have to deal with mistakes that are made. Um, I, you know, I've told you before, and I've seen it. You've you've taught me this that a seller of a property has to know as much as the buyer, because if the seller doesn't know that, then the buyer is ahead of the game and does a better negotiation. And today, especially, I'm seeing that every day. Uh, a lot of sellers are negotiating on their own. They they don't. They feel they can do it without an agent. The lawyer ends up acting like an agent, and I don't envy those lawyers who have to do that. Like real estate is intense. It's it. Everything about it is intense. You can't just loaf along. Um, and so, as I said, we all do our best, but the team approach is important because mistakes are always there. There are always potential for problems or delay. Uh, I can tell stories forever about transactions with expert people as buyers that ran into all kinds of problems. How do you solve them? Money solves most of them, but time and attention and effort are the essential ingredients. Yeah. Well, um, so what do you see out there these days? So you're seeing a lot of uh, self-representation, I guess, is what you're you're uh, providing. And obviously, it, I mean, it makes sense. We're in one of the hardest, uh, hottest markets uh, in decades. And so, you know, you've, you're obviously getting involved with sellers trying to sell their, uh, investment portfolios. And, um, I guess I could see that where they'd be running into problems because they're not really structuring themselves, uh, properly. But, you know, that's one thing that I prided myself when I was a realtor was that, um, you know, and, and with you and I, we kind of orchestrated an offer, um, that pretty well covered everything from A to Z, 
and uh, you know it left very little ambiguity or issues. And 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 so financial institutions um, liked it because we had everything that was required. And then before I would even take a listing, I actually would make sure that I had the entire package of all the due diligence and all the information and everything that was required before I even listed it. And that way, when we did have an offer, then I gave them a link to a cloud, which I gave to you as well. And then uh, everything was there that was required by building inspection, insurance, and all of that. So I think, you know, primarily it's all about preparation and structure, and then obviously knowing you know, what everybody's going to be expecting in order to facilitate a transaction. Um, but you know what? Uh, you have always been the type of person that, um, I don't know how to describe it, but for me, you were a critical part of my uh, career and still are to this day, even though I'm not a realtor anymore and I provide uh, advice and guidance to uh, clients in all different aspects. You've been always a fantastic um uh, part of my career throughout my uh, years, and I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to have you at least be a participant in what uh, uh, the future holds. But um, yeah, you, you really, uh, you have always been the kind of person that, again, keeps clients calm and you deal with an issue and there's always a way to overcome. And that's one thing that I've always enjoyed about working with you. And we've worked on some crazy deals, some, you know, lot of fun projects over the years. Yes, they have been, and they've worked out well. Looking back on them, these clients have done well. But it's my turn to praise you, Frank. I, I claim little credit. Uh, you were always quarterbacking these things, uh, getting people to play their roles, and someone has to lead the committee, and that was always you. Well, you know what? Uh, it was just kind of uh, over the years, you learn what's needed and what isn't. And if you're prepared, uh, you know, everything runs uh, smoothly. And then again, like I said, um, you know, and what was important too was that uh, you knew uh, that if, you know, the city needed to get called or zoning department or, you know, whoever was required, um, you had the uh, fortitude to always think and uh, figure out the problems where I got to tell you. I don't think I can recall a deal going uh, sideways with us. I mean, obviously, um, it, it we and we worked on some very complicated deals. I mean, from small multi-res to you know very large um, uh, complex transactions into you know in scale. Um, yes, Frank, but I, I I give you the credit for those. Um, I was just along for the ride, so to speak, doing the legal part uh, as it came up. That's still what I do. Um, so, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 it's not being humble. It's being realistic. Like everybody has to work together. We all need help. Um, sometimes in real estate deals, we need therapy. <laughs> They're complicated <laughs> enough. That's true. Uh, therapy sometimes is needed. That's, uh, that's for sure. Uh, do you have any deals that uh, you and I worked at that uh, stand out in your mind that were kind of fun? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess there was that, uh, Trinity lofts in Hamilton. That was a lot of fun. Very interesting. Took a year. Um, you handled the purchase amazingly. I thought, uh, without you, it wouldn't have happened. Um, but you understood your client. Like what, what I've seen in your deals generally is that, you know, a lot about your clients and therefore by making those inquiries and understanding their situation, you can give them better advice. 
Um, and that's been a hallmark also of what you've done. Well, it's uh, it got to ask the right questions, right? I mean, I'm sure you're the same way when you prepare a file and a client calls you. You've got a system and uh, almost like a little checklist of all the things that you're going to need. And uh, and so that way you know that you've got everything that you inquire. There's a lot of people that are basically throwing the dice on the on the ground and hoping that they're going to get lucky seven. And uh, and sometimes it becomes very very difficult. Um, so in the market today, are you, are, you, are you seeing some unique changes that uh, have occurred that uh, you haven't? I mean, you've been in the, how long have you been a lawyer for? Um, Frank, the answer is too long. <laughs> Since 1970. 1970. Look at you. Yeah, but I mean, that's just, it just went by in a flash, you know. Um, but really, I, again, I repeat, I have no magical gifts. Uh, it's just one deal after another each time you do your best. Um, but they're all fun and they're all difficult. And today, what I'm seeing is purely what I'm seeing. It, it isn't what um, happens to everyone else. It isn't really a total trend as far as I know. Um, the big thing right now that I see is the numbers are huge. Uh, plus, a lot of people um, have owned property for a long time. They want to organize their estates, so they're selling uh, or they had a business property, they no longer have the business, now they're going to sell the property. Um, every deal is really different. Um, that's the interesting part about uh, investment property. None of them are the same. Um, and so you have to be on your toes. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and you also have a perspective that not uh, all lawyers have, and that is that uh, you have been a landlord. Um, you started acquiring uh, some investments for yourself uh, way back when, and um, but your your seems to be your preferred model uh, was either um, you know light industrial, right? That's kind of where your your background is well, on your own ownership. I'm referring to. Yeah, but you know it's funny. A, a, a lot of the deals I did were just accidents. People would bring them to me, and I was busy, so I'd say, "Okay, I trust you. We'll go in it." Um, and I've never run out and looked at real estate particularly for myself, it's just shown up at my doorstep and I've learned after closing um, how they worked and that's been helpful to me. And, you know, anyone who's had property for 30 years has done well um, in in this area anyway. Well, uh, that's absolutely true. Now you cover, I mean, what's the furthest you can go out uh, as far as your representation is concerned? Is there a limit? Um, no. Um, there really isn't because it's just numbers. Um, it's the ideas that matter most. It's the client's abilities. You know, some people are really great at this. A lot of people in real estate aren't that great at owning things. Uh, they don't understand them. Um, I've often seen sellers not understand what they had. Buyers don't often either. I mean, I, I, some of the things I've had over the years, I didn't understand. I didn't and, until you know, five or 10 years. And I said, okay, now I know how, how it works. Like time, time is required to understand real estate. You need to own it. You need to be able to find people who can tell you how they do it. Um, some of my clients have accumulated 20 and $30 million in the last 20 years. And I've seen how they did it. Yeah. That's been the fun part too. I bet. I, I bet. I mean, I know that um, a good majority of the clients that I originally started with my career uh, s still own the assets that I sold them way back when. 
Um, you know, if you sell them something that's good quality, I could never sell anything to anybody that I, I didn't think was a good long time, a long term keeper. But um, I know that uh, many of those clients are still with you today. Well, yes, I, I appreciate that loyalty, but it's about service. Like you're only as good as what you're doing at that time. You can't relax. You can't say, well, I was good five years ago on this deal. Uh, right now, I've got a deal that the tax lawyers, I think, uh, are involved in now because maybe the accountant made a mistake um, on how the taxes would go. So taxes are big drivers. The seller has to know what's going to be left over after the government gets their part of it. The buyer has to understand, especially in a share purchase, uh, that the buyer is inheriting a low cost base in the company. And yes, they save land transfer tax at the beginning, but later on there's a hidden tax uh, cost, which will show up when they sell. Hmm. So tell me something. When do you think is the right time for a client to go from having assets in their personal name and then uh, eventually incorporate a company in order for them to be able to, you know, plan for the future and also kind of estate planning in a way so that that way their estate isn't hit by taxes and they don't have to liquidate all of that um, and then they structure themselves into a real estate holding company. What, is there a right time to do that? Is there, you know, when does that happen? Well, and, and well, again, I'm just speaking generally. If a client um, is going to buy a property, usually the right time to have it in a company is right then. Because if you own it personally for a while, so it's on your books and you're reporting as uh, the income on your personal tax return, when you move the property into your company, well, it's not likely always that it's going to be a tax-free rollover and you certainly have to pay land transfer tax. So it's complicated to move it into a company and it's a complicated decision. Like, you know, for myself, whatever little I own. Um, some of it's in companies, some of it isn't. And I, I can't get excited about it because the tax problems are way down the road. <laughs> but a, a lot of people um, do rollovers uh, later on as their assets increase. They want the growth to accrue to their children. They have uh, wealth corporations. They have trusts that spread the gains among others. Like this is for richer people to do and it works for them. And their accountants are good at it. And we see a lot of restructuring like that later on. So the answer is, there's no bad time to do it. There's no good time to do it. Some people never do it. They don't need to do it. They're not concerned about the taxes. If you're concerned about the taxes, then the right time to deal with it is right now. Okay. Well, that's great advice. And um, so, and you're able to help clients with all the different varied uh, structures, um, you know, for long-term planning if they uh, choose to go in that direction, correct? Well, yes, but we partner with their accountants because the accountants have a total different skill set um, and we need them. Uh, lawyers can't be accountants. They're not insured to be uh, giving accountant advice uh, and accountants are not insured to be lawyers. So it, usually it works out that we partner with the accountant. Uh, they prepare instructions. We review them. The client considers the value of it. Is it worth doing? Right. And then it gets done, it's, it, but it's a combination of talents. It's not anything that I can say centers around us. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a team effort, right? So you have to have all the right, um, and then you obviously have great leads for accounting firms that specialize in this type of, of uh, investment portfolio because it really doesn't matter whether it's 
a multi-res asset portfolio or if it's light industrial plazas, uh, you know, or retail plazas, it's pretty well all the same with regards to um, structure. And, you know, it just varies on what they want as an end game result, correct? Yes, you're right about that, Frank. So, um, you know, I, I just want to uh, also uh, highlight, so you can also help uh, individuals with incorporating uh, their, their holding company. And, you know, one of the things that's going on today is that a lot of um, investors, first time actually, I find anyway, are actually going the route of incorporating before they even, you know, on their first or second property. And uh, do you find that there are issues when it comes to closing or with finance or anything like that when they've gone ahead and bought the property or if they've maybe bought it in their name but then decide last minute they want to put it into a corporate name? Like, are, are those the types of things that you're finding that are evolving right now? Well, it's not, it's not a new phenomenon in the sense that if you change anything uh, towards the closing, You've got delay with your lender, especially in the COVID times. Um, so one of the skill sets that sets apart the real uh, successful commercial investor is the ability to handle money, to have the money that you need for the closing uh, so that there is no possibility of losing your deposit or needing an extension that could be expensive or losing the deal. So and you know this because of many of the people that you've sent our way, um, they're amazing when it comes to having money ready to do things. They're ready to buy for cash if they have to. They're ready to buy unconditionally on financing so a seller's more inclined to deal with them. One of the big things that is kind of, people don't talk about it, but you got to have your money ready to do these kind of deals. Um, You can't be scrambling at the last minute to raise the money on a deal that you're committed to. Um, so the, all that comes down to is you, you've usually, if you're using uh, institutional money, you have somebody at that institution, whether it's a bank, a credit union, or even a mental institution, I'm kidding. But what, what, what you have is a person who's totally working with you, again, part of your team, so that that person can anticipate the problems, can navigate delays built into any organizational structure so your money's ready on time and for example if you decide to change who the owner is at the last minute well you want a lender who can adjust to that quickly who isn't going to stand uh firm on some procedural issue and say well the book says you can't have it until you do this and then the deal goes down the drain peter I'm really looking forward to having you uh, participate. We're going to talk about different subjects from time to time based on the interviews that I'm conducting uh, to get your perspectives. And um, it's going to be very exciting to have you uh, part of the show. And if anyone needs to uh, reach out and find you, it is uh, Cass and Bishop uh, located out in uh, Burlington, Ontario. And uh, Peter uh, is um, you know, a busy guy. Uh, but he always somehow finds a way to uh, reach out and uh, always provided, always has provided my clients with exceptional service. So um, I'm really happy to have you um, be part of Let's Be Frank about real estate investing. Well, Frank, as I said, we're always glad to help people if we can, but this isn't really a commercial for me. <laughs> I'm just here to help people. Well, I mean, that's all. That's what we're both here for, right? Uh 
Yes, I think that's always been, I know that's been your orientation and it's been very successful for your clients. So listen, um, you have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon. All right, well, thank you, Frank. I think I'm going to take up golf after this. (laughs) All right, my friend. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I just want to make it very clear, I have no interest in becoming a social media personality, but I do have a deep desired interest in helping you succeed in real estate. So as my father would say, if you don't ask, you don't get, pick up the phone and give me a call. I also need to give credit to all of those uh, that have helped make the reality of Let's Be Frank I would invite you to take a look at the bottom of every podcast, um, and those individuals have been key players. I'd also like to give special credit to Todd Miller from the podcast Experts. You know, if there's one thing I want to emphasize throughout all the shows is that you're only as good as the team that you have that surrounds you. Um, You need to bring in professionals and experts that really know what they're doing, and in the end, it costs you a lot less money. And uh, it only makes you more successful. And so if there's just one thing that you learn from all of these shows combined is that don't try and invent the wheel yourself. Bring in the people that you need to bring in to make your life a success and a lot stress-free, a lot more stress-free than having to go through the hardships of um, silliness. Anyway, thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Whoa.